you considered us worthy enough uh, to take on flesh and to come and to walk among us and to live among us, uh, to experience the same life uh, that we lived as a true human being so that we would not have an unsympathetic high priest who is not able to understand what it is that we go through, but yet who took on human flesh. Unbelievable to me. Uh, <laughs> that you would become one of us because of how much you loved us and that you would die a death that was uh, unimaginable so we could be reconciled to you forever. And so, Father, we stand here uh, convicted by our own brokenness, grateful uh, for your salvation, um, and humbly ready to hear the word that you have delivered to Pastor Joe to give to us today. Give us open hearts, open ears, open minds, yielded spirits in humility to learn this morning in the name of your son. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to be with you guys here today. I'm, uh, by the way, for the Pancake Crew, thank you so much for the great job. Great job. <clears throat> and I, I also want to thank you for the fact that you made those pancakes to have a third fewer calories than your regular pancake. Thank you very much for that. Uh, we can close that door back there. That would be great. Uh, they're still cleaning up back there. Um, this week, we're continuing in our, it's the second week in our new series on 1 John. The title of the series is So Our Joy is Complete. The idea is that the book of John will give us concepts to help us understand how to live a life that is full of joy when it comes to walking with Christ. Not one like religion that burdens us or like one being slave to the flesh, which limits us. This week, the title is Body Shaming. Now, not the type of body shaming that you might think, though. My question for you is this. Do you hate your humanity sometimes? I mean, do you wish that you didn't have to put up with it anymore? Like, like somehow your humanity, you being a physical person, that body, that flesh, hinders your spirituality? You know, if I could just be more spiritual, if I could stop, just get rid of this body... Well, in reality, you may not realize this, but it, that, is, that kind of concept is a remnant of the very teaching that John fights again in verses 1 through 4 of 1 John chapter 1. Because spiritual body shaming is what, what I'm going to talk about today. It's a flawed, man-made, religious concept that robs us of the full type of joy we were talking about last week. It hinders our understanding of what it means to be like Christ. Now, as you can tell, this is not going to be an easy concept to explain today. So stick with me, okay? Let's read the passage, see if that gives you any insight. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, and we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with this, his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. What he's saying there is what we're about to share with you, these concepts are important if you want your joy to be complete. 
So let's look at the history of the passage. What about man? What was going on at the time? What was happening? I alluded a little bit last week to this idea of Gnosticism. I'm going to explain a little more in detail what it is today. And what was really going on here in Asia Minor, where Ephesus was and all the other churches that John had planted around Ephesus, Gnosticism was running rampant. There were many different Gnostic groups. Let me explain to you what it is. Gnosticism are basically dualists. And what they believe is there are two great opposing forces, spiritual versus material, and you cannot embrace both. You either live your life enslaved by one or freed by the other. Since the world is a material world, which leaves much room for improvement, it is impossible that God has anything to do with it. There's no way God made it. It's all an illusion. How can the perfect God produce something that is imperfect? How can the infinite produce something that is finite or sinful or flawed? How can the spiritual have anything to do with the material? That's really what is going on, and it, it is infecting every part of the church in this region. As a matter of fact, Paul references this group when he's talking to Timothy in 1 Timothy. He says, Timothy, guard the deposited entrusted to you. In other words, the deposited entrusted, the truth I've given you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Get to that word in a moment. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Interesting. You know what the word knowledge is? It is gnosis, where we get the word Gnosticism. So what was happening, these were people that were going around saying, we have the true knowledge of spirit and physical. We have the truth about Jesus and the gospel. And what you have to recognize is you have to become completely spiritual beings and no longer be physical and spiritual. There's no such thing. And we have knowledge. And Paul says there things, the things they're saying are irreverent babble and contradictions and they're not really knowledge, but that's what they call them. So a dominant force behind the Gnostic influence in this region taught things like, the main dominant force, they taught abstinence from marriage to suppress childbearing because, you know, and, and strict dietary laws, both of those, the idea of, you know, we need to oppose the physical world. Stop having these imaginary babies. Stop eating pizza that's not real. I mean, that's what they taught. They were opposed to anything that acknowledged the physical world. As a matter of fact, this became the foundations for something that some people call asceticism. And let me explain what that is. It's basically teaching that you have to abstain from all sensual physical pleasures for the sake of religious spiritual goals. It led to something called the monastic life. Where monks would beat themselves and starve themselves and cut themselves off from the world because they wanted to be spiritual. They were embracing Gnosticism saying that the spiritual has nothing to do with the physical. Therefore, we must deny everything that the physical wants. This led to the rise of something called docetism. A lot of isms today. Here's what they taught. Because of Gnosticism, right, the, the, the spiritual and the physical aren't really, the, you know, they're, they're competing. Christ did not really have a material body, but only seemed to. His body was just sort of like an appearance, like a hologram, so he could interact with men for a short time. I mean, for real, how could the divine have anything to do with a physical body? 
Therefore, Jesus was not really born of a virgin. He did not really suffer. He did not really bleed. He did not really die. All of that was simply just an object lesson. You think this is crazy for out teaching? There are churches in town right now in Sarasota that teach this. They don't call it docetism. They don't call it Gnosticism. You know what they call it? Christianity. But it's not. And John makes it very clear. So that's the first part of the historical. Now I want to talk about John. John was an eyewitness to all of this about Jesus. As the last living apostle, which we talked about yesterday, John describes his interaction with Jesus the man. He says, we've heard him, we saw him, and we touched him. In verse 1, he says, he makes it clear, I was there. I touched Jesus. I hugged him. I experienced him. I saw him cry. I saw him laugh. I saw him angry. I saw him sad. I saw him suffer. And I was there when he died. I was an eyewitness. And he says, I want you to understand, this word of life that we're preaching to you, God sent it as a man. It was Jesus. In verse 2 he says, God sent the word of life, the gospel, as a man. He was literally the living word. And he explains in verses 3 to 4 that all of this is part of the gospel. In other words, the acceptance of Christ as a man is crucial to the gospel and the fellowship of the joy of the brothers and sisters in Christ. He is saying if you don't embrace the idea that Christ came as a man, you don't have a part of our joy. There is no room for those who claim Christ who say he didn't have a body. You know what made this really popular a little over a decade ago? The Da Vinci Code. That's where all this is kind of related to. Everybody think that's crazy. How could we ever believe that? Well, it was uh, in the forefront just a little, a few years ago, and it will be again. It's something that keeps creeping up over and over again. So that's the historical part of what's going on. Let's talk about the spiritual. What about God? I want to talk about the body of Jesus. See, it's important for us to understand as Christians, as followers of Christ, the glory of Jesus is not just his deity, but it's also undeniably his humanity. Because there are several things that we would not have in Jesus if he was not a physical man. First of all, without the body, we would have no redemption. You understand it's the suffering and the death of the body of Christ that paid the price for our sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption. There is no forgiveness. And Paul talks about this in a few verses. I'm going to steal a couple of them from Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. That's a good one. And here's another one in 2 Corinthians 4, 10 and 11. We are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our bodies. For we who, are, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul makes it very clear in these two passages that there is an undeniable tie of existence between our body and our soul and Christ's body and his deity for us to have redemption. 
You know what else we don't have if there's no body of Jesus? There's no resurrection. I mean, it's the body of Christ that dies because death is specifically a physical event. Paul even addressed this in 1 Corinthians 15, 35 and 36. He says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And Paul says, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life until it dies. And without the body of Christ, there is no Easter. There is no resurrection of Christ, and there's no resurrection of us at the end, and we're going to get to that in a moment. So without Christ, there's no redemption. There's no resurrection. Without Christ's body, there's also no compassion or grace. See, it's the body of Christ that made him a sympathetic empathetic savior that understood what we were struggling with. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, it says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. All of us, any temptation we've ever faced, Christ faced it in his body. Let us with confidence then draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Guys, look, Jesus knows how hard it is. How much the deck is stacked against us in our bodies. And he translates that knowledge of hardship to overwhelming compassion, mercy, and grace. So without the body of Christ, there is no redemption. There is no resurrection and there is no grace. That's not my Jesus. My Jesus gives me all of those. So let's talk about the personal. It's where it gets kind of different. I want to talk about the image of Jesus. Look, I know it's true. We often live in conflict with those two elements of our existence, don't we? The physical and the spiritual. Right? Paul even talks about the struggle. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I continue to do. He says, wretched man that I am, I'm constantly battling between the two natures that I have within me. So I'm not denying that there is conflict there. But we make this inaccurate assumption. I'm going to blow you away today. We assume the spiritual is superior to the physical. When we do that, we embrace a form of Gnosticism. And we do religious body shaming. Let me explain. Guys, I don't know if you've noticed, but God has made us both physical and spiritual. The physical was not a mistake. We are made, after all, in the image of Christ, who was both. In fact, listen carefully, our humanity and Christ's humanity is crucial to being connected to Heavenly Dad. While there is tension between the two, God designed us in a way that one cannot exist without the other. You love your spirit man so much? Great. He doesn't exist without your body. Today, I hope to give you a new understanding of the symbiotic relationship between our bodies and our souls. And it mirrors that with which Christ came to earth with. I mean, without it, we really can never be connected to heavenly dad. Look at this verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 
uh, 42 to 44, then I'll skip a few verses to 49. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. The body is born perishable, but it is raised or transformed into something that is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. He's explaining the two extremes of the physical body. Then he says, it is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. And he explains that to us. And he continues in verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Who, by the way, has a body. Just like the body of Jesus was crucial, our humanity is essential for the salvation of of our souls, because through our bodies, there are a couple of benefits that we get. Are you ready? Yes, I know that, you know, there's a lot of negatives with a body, especially one like mine. But through our humanity, first of all, we qualify for redemption. If we had no human body, we couldn't be redeemed. Angels that fell can't be redeemed. But us, in our weak, frail bodies, even though we are sinners, we are born in sin, we struggle with sin, we are, we are depraved because of the fact that we have this combination of body and soul, we qualify for redemption. It is our flawed human nature that makes us fall in love with God's grace. I mean, the reason we love mercy and grace so much is because we realize we need it a ton. Right? Who doesn't love mercy and grace? Raise your hand if you hate mercy and grace. Raise your hand. Anybody? You know why? Because you got a body. Your body teaches you how much you need mercy and grace. You know what else we won't have if we didn't have our bodies? Through our bodies, we qualify redemption for redemption, but we also experience transformation. Now, this is an important concept, both on earth and in heaven. See, one of the things that's great about being a Christian is we experience this amazing joy of being set, fee, set free from the slavery to sin. When God gives us the gift of faith, when faith is applied, these bodies through our mind and heart become transformed. And we begin to live a life on earth that brings a smile to heavenly dad's face. He creates good works, which he prepared beforehand, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that we trip over. And in these flawed bodies, grace and mercy and redemption is so powerful that we begin to see transformation on earth. We cast off the old. We bring on the new. But also these bodies, the scripture says, will be transformed and glorified. And that's how, get this, we don't enjoy God forever as a spirit, a ghost. The scripture says our bodies are resurrected. They are transformed. They are glorified. We enjoy heavenly dad for all eternity with a body. Think about that for a minute. I mean, heaven would not be that great if you couldn't feel or touch or see anything. But we have these glorified bodies that God gives us when we are resurrected. And we experience, look, for those of you that have had a life that was struggling through relationships or addiction or whatever it was, and when God began to transform you, do you remember the joy that filled your heart and soul? 
Remember that moment that your life transformed and you were no longer a slave to sin, but you are now a child of God? Remember that feeling of, wow, this is what redemption is like? Count me in. It was your flaws that made you enjoy transformation. Then the last one, this is my favorite. Through our humanity, not only do we qualify for redemption, we experience transformation, but just like Christ, just, and this is the easiest way to be like Jesus, we are capable of compassion. Think about it. This is the one area that we can be just like Jesus. If we remain mindful of our humanity and his. It is the essence of being made like Christ. The compassion, the sympathy, the empathy that we can have for those around us who are struggling with their depravity just like we did before Jesus. And all of these concepts show that our physical body is crucial for us to be like Christ. It is our very connection to the source of joy that is rooted in a dual existence of body and spirit just like Jesus. The Gnostics tried to deny that. We must embrace it, not only about Christ, but about ourselves as well, because the fact of the matter is, church, we cannot enjoy our redemption. Remember what he says, I write these things so your joy may be full. We cannot enjoy our redemption without embracing our humanity. It's redemption that teaches us how to live in union with our souls, not fighting against them. For all these reasons, Christ's humanity should be celebrated. We can be thankful for how he has made us and how he made himself. So I have a surprise for you today. We're talking about the body of Christ. Now, normally when we do the Lord's table, we like to announce it a few weeks ahead of time so you can clear out your schedules. This week we deceived you and had pancake breakfast instead so you would come. <laughs> but we're gonna, I'm going to call this a stealth Lord's table. You didn't know we were going to do it, but I, have my, uh, I had a couple guys who were going to help me pull up the, the Nehemiah and Matt are going to bring up this table up. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table as a church today because we are going to celebrate the body of Christ. We're going to celebrate what Christ has done for us, as the scripture teaches us, in his body so that we might enjoy redemption and grace and mercy and restoration and have compassion. So today, as we celebrate the Lord's table, it is to remind us of the real body of Jesus, how we don't have life without it. Just bring it right up here. Can you do that? Thanks, guys. Fantastic job. Give them a hand. That was great. So they cooked 800 pancakes and brought the Lord's table up to the stage. So the, uh, uh, the, the team is there, is, is distributing you the, uh, the little communion packets that we use. You haven't ever used those. The, uh, the bread is in the top, and then there's another thing you pull back, and the juice is below it, so don't make a mess. Take some time and get those squared away and, and uh, get them, and I'll be back with you in just a minute. <clears throat> so.
So as they're distributing those, let me explain why I felt this was important today. When Jesus first had the Lord's table with his disciples, he was talking about what? His soul? He was talking about his body. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is shed for you. And what he was explaining was, this is the whole purpose that I came. Not as an object lesson, as a game to make you think I was human. I came as a human to be tempted as you are, to live as you do, and to be broken as you are broken so that you might live. So with that in mind, let's uh, pray and then we'll start the Lord's table here. Take me back to my slides, if you could. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for the power of your resurrection and your compassion and the redemption you give us all because of your body. We're so thankful for how you have humbled yourself and given us the ability to connect with Heavenly Dad in an intimate way that would have never been possible without our humanity and yours. So if you'll look up, I'm going to read the passage to you. We're going to start with the bread. And Jesus was sitting down with his disciples, and he knew that his body was about to be broken. He was about to die, like he was about to suffer. And it wasn't a game. It wasn't an act. He was going to suffer pain and abandonment. <clears throat> and he said, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And not stopping there, <clears throat> he wanted to give them another lesson. He took a cup, and we had given thanks. He gave it to them saying, take this and drink it, all of you. For this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, thank you for your suffering. Thank you for subjecting yourself to all the pain that we are and more. We thank you that our humanity is what connects us to redemption, to mercy and compassion. And through that, we see that we are made in your image. We celebrate your humanity. It is what gave us life and liberty. We thank you for the blood you shed because we know without it, there is no forgiveness. 
as our Savior today, we celebrate <clears throat> the body of Jesus and what it has done for us.